Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to just try to jump right into this because it is a long section of Scripture that we're going to have to read. I don't know if you've been enjoying the book of Mark, but one of the things I realized is that we're not doing it justice in, in the ways that we can really dig deep into it. And that was one of the things that I was always wrestling with when we study a book in the Bible. Because to do Mark justice, I think it would take about two years to study do a portion at a time. But because of time and because of the schedule that we have, that we are trying to finish up the whole book of Mark within a one-year cycle. But the thing is, we have missions month, we have other things that we do. And so because of that, it's going to require a, a lot more going through the passages. And what we're hoping for is hopefully all of you are part of a life group that you could actually study the passage a little bit more and a little bit more deeply. So what I'm going to do, and Pastor Bo and I, what we're going to do on Sundays is just to give you more of the direction of the passage. We'll highlight different things that you might not know because some of the things you, you see it in the original language or there's a historical context that you might not have. We'll try to make sure that we talk about those things so that you have a better understanding of the passage. But at the end of the day, it's not more head knowledge. At the end of the day, what we want to see is the people who are following Christ, trusting in Him, and living obediently. That's what we want to see. So when we study the book of Mark, it is a great context for us to grow as a disciple and a follower of Christ. So let me start off by asking this question. I'm wondering, how many of you have ever met a desperate person? Now, you don't, don't raise your hand. You're like, me. You know, I, I'm desperate right now. But I want you to think about that. Have you ever met a person who is in a state of desperation? Somebody who's desperate. I would say when people are desperate to be in a relationship, you know what that feels like, and you know those people to avoid. They're like desperate. Did he look at me? Did he, did he look at me? No, we did not. He, he was looking at the screen over there, right? They, they kind of give you weird vibes. You know what I'm talking about? Those people who are desperate to try to be in a relationship, you're like, whoa, that's, you're, you're, you're over. You know? You're just doing too much. Also, when people are desperate, think about this. This is another example or another context. When people are desperate to survive in the wilderness or if they're stranded somewhere, what happens? Because their desperation to survive, they will end up eating some of the craziest things that they will not eat, worms beetles, trees, I don't know, they, they will eat things to survive. Something about desperation that changes everything. Also, when you think about people who are desperate to escape war or a, they're looking for a better life, they take some enormous risks to find freedom. When I, when I see those images of people on these boats and many of these people end up dying when it comes uh, capsizes, when I see people who are trying to get out of the situation in Ukraine, I mean, it breaks your heart of their desire to not only survive, but to have a better life. They were willing to take some incredible risks. I think that we saw this desperation during the COVID pandemic lockdowns. 
and more recently in China. Can I ask you, how many of you saw it on the news or what's happening in China when the lockdown that's been happening? If you, have, if you don't know, then you got to watch the news. I mean, there was one that really captured my heart because somebody took a, a picture of all these apartment estates and they were screaming, just yelling out. And as I was watching this, I said, that, that's a cry of desperation. That they're tired of this three years of complete zero COVID policy and, and economy is going down and so many people are struggling with mental health. And when I think about all these situations, we, I would say we probably do the same thing. But sometimes we don't think about what would happen in situations that involves animals. Now, those of you who know me, I'm not much of an animal lover. I could appreciate them. Uh, but, you know, animals and I, we don't get along too well. And I, I'm okay with that, as long as we could admire and respect one another. <laughs> Can I ask, how many of you gone hiking on Kamshan or Country Park? Anybody? Can we see? A, there's a map here. This, this, this is known as Monkey Hill. This is one place I am not going to hike. <laughs> and, well, maybe I should and overcome whatever, you know, that make me. <laughs> Sam, you want to come back here, share your testimony again? I've known this guy since freshman year. <laughs> Amen. These monkeys are crazy. I mean, if you have any sighting or just the smell of food, game over. They will be all over you. <laughs> and some of you might not know this, but there is these Mekong mon monkeys in Thailand. And these monkeys are crazy. They, when you think about crazy, that's crazy, but then there's crazy. And these are the monkeys. I want to show you a video that actually there was a little news report about them. And what happened to them because of the COVID lockdown and how they began to behave. So let's watch this together, shall we? What is the lesson? Don't eat too many sugary things or you're going to do wild things, all right? <laughs> the real lesson is that when you're desperate, whether it's either animals or even human beings, as many of you know, we'll end up doing desperate things. What are some of the things that you've done in your relationship with God because you are in a desperate situation? Let me rephrase it. Have you ever been desperate for God? Because you're looking at your life, you're looking at your situation, you're looking at things that are going around you and you realize, I cannot do this. I need you, God. I think for many of us, we live our lives in such a comfortable way, free of inconveniences, because that's what we try to avoid, that it has lulled us into apathy and complacency. What would happen if we were more desperate for God? In fact, Maybe the question or the thought should be, the thing that I'm going through right now, is that an avenue or a way for me to actually get to know God more? 
and be more desperate for him. John Bloom, he's a writer for Desiring God Ministry. He wrote an, an article that is titled, God Makes Us Desperate. And listen to what he writes, and I think this is very poignant. Now, he's referencing to American culture, but as you know, this is a global city culture. And so, in many ways, it's reflective of any city in Asia. He writes this, the New Testament teaches us that whether or not our treasure is really in heaven is most clearly seen when it costs us our earthly treasure in order to obtain it. Amen. I, I was reading, I'm like, amen, after every phrase and every sentence. But American Christians live in the most prosperous nation in world history and the one in which it costs the least to be a Christian. Amen. Sorry, I should stop. Okay, I, I, some of you are like, why is he saying, I don't see amen on that quote, but I'm expressing my heart. This environment can be deadly to faith. It allows false faith to masquerade as real very easily. And its power to dissipate zeal and energy and mission focus and willingness to risk is extraordinary because it doesn't come with us with a whip and a threat. It comes to us with a pillow and a promise of comfort for us and our children. The former makes us desperate for God. The latter robs us our sense of desperation. And it's the lack of a sense of desperation for God that is so deadly. If we don't feel desperate for God, we don't tend to cry out to Him. Love for this present world sets in, subtly, uh, in a subtle way uh, like a spiritual leprosy, damaging spiritual nerve, ending so that we don't feel the erosion and decay happening until it's too late. See, the thing about comfort and our lack of desperation for God is that it comes very slowly. And if you're not able to catch it, then what happens is that we will see our spiritual life going down, but we don't really realize how bad it is. The reason why I'm starting off my sermon in this direction is because you are going to see a series of stories that we're going to go over today that highlights the fact that when we are desperate for Jesus Christ and we turn to him in humility, then Jesus will come and meet you right where you are and he will work a miracle in your life so that your life will never be the same. You will also see in a series of these stories that there are people who are the exact opposite, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who in their pride did not see a need for the transformation of their heart, and we see that they missed out and they could not experience the miracles that Jesus had for them as well. So as we continue in the book of Mark and look at series of these stories, my hope and prayer is that we will in our desperation, turn to Jesus Christ. And as we turn to him, that we will experience a miracle. Can I get a good amen to that? Let's leave here experiencing miracle. If he speaks to us about something, that's a miracle. If he desired to take a step of faith, that's a miracle. If he decided, I'm going to do something different 
or I'm going to stop doing something, that will be a miracle. And we're praying that that will happen in each one of your lives. So let me give us the one thing. And the one thing is simply this. It's right up here. It says that living a life that is obedient involves faith as a key ingredient. That if you really want to live this life of obedience to God, then the key ingredient that what we need is this aspect of faith. So I'm going to talk about this one thing. I don't have two points. I'm just going to go through the stories and reinforce this idea to live this life of faith or this life of obedience. The key ingredient, it involves faith. So let's go ahead and read verse 7, starting from chapter 7, verse 24. And I'm always looking over here, so I'm going to look over here. Hey, guys, I'm looking over here. So let's listen to what it says. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way, or you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. It's really interesting that Jesus and the disciples decided to go to this region of Tyre and Sidon. Not only was this the beginning of going beyond Galilee to minister to people, because within the, before this, he only ministered in the region of Galilee, where there were a lot of Jewish people. But this was also the time that he stepped out of that and went into a Gentile territory. A Gentile territory being a non-Jewish territory. It is in this non-Jewish territory we see that Jesus performs three miracles. He heals a demon-possessed girl. He heals a hearing-impaired man. And he ends up feeding 4,000 people. And we're going to look at some of these stories. So as we look at Mark chapter 7, verse 24 to 30, we see that Jesus wanted some privacy to spend time with his disciples. And then people started to hear that Jesus is in the region because the rumors were already spreading of some of the great things that he was doing. And this is where a Gentile woman who heard that Jesus was in town came and she fell at his feet. Now, I want you to look at verse 26 again, and we notice how Mark highlighted the fact that she was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman, and then she was also desperate. By highlighting that she was a Gentile, it shows that Jesus not only just cared for the Jewish people, but he cared for all people. Can I get an amen to that? This is the reason why when we just hang around with our own race, think about this. There's a good possibility that you might not be living out the very heart of God. And I want to challenge you to look at your friends. Who are the people that you hang out with? If they're all from 
a particular country who had recently had an election and that's all your friends, then what I would say is that you are being stuck with just one race. Or are they from a country with a red and white flag? Now there are many flags that are red and white. So I'm not going to tell you which country. You figure it out. Why? Because it's easier because to speak the language, you know the same culture, you love the same food. Some of you know I just recently went to Korea. I felt at home. I could read the signs, I could communicate, and the food, Korean food, real Korean food, not in Hong Kong, but real Korean food. I don't even have to use any app. I go, you know, that looks pretty clean. I will walk in, but you know it's the dirty ones that are the best. So I'm like, wow, this is really good. It's just easier. You don't have to inconvenience yourself just to hang out with people who are just like you. This is the reason why I've said it before and I'll keep on saying this. If you do not feel uncomfortable in our church, something is wrong. Either we're not preaching the gospel or we're just allowing some of us to live in our sinful nature. When you preach the gospel, it will convict you of your sin. And that is uncomfortable. When you preach the gospel and the word of God, it's going to demand your life. And if you do not want to give up your life for God, then of course you're going to start feeling uncomfortable. In the same way, when all you do is hang around with people who are just like you, you are not having the heart of Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. So he ministered to the Jewish people in that region. But then this is the first time he steps out of that. He goes to this region of Tyre and Sidon. And what we notice is that these Gentiles are also in need of the gospel. But Jesus does something here that is a little bit confusing. Because here is this Gentile woman desperate because her daughter was demon-possessed. Therefore, the women, she did not really because of being a gentile woman and in this desperation it almost seems as jesus says you know what don't bother me but what did she do she fell at his feet she begged him to heal her daughter you know i was thinking about this i'm wondering how many of us have not experienced the power of god because we're not desperate because we're like god you know what let me take care of it by myself i'm gonna try to figure this out And it's only when you have tried to do things in your own strength and wisdom and when it completely fails, that's when we become desperate. That's why I said do not hate failure. It is your friend. Because through the failure, you might actually find God. That he has been there, faithful, watching over you, loving you, helping you to grow in your relationship with him. So here's the question. Who are you turning to in some of the situations that you're in, in that state of desperation? Is it God? Is it yourself? Is it to other people? That's why we must turn to Jesus in faith during these desperate situations. Then we looked at verse 27 through 29. We see Jesus' interaction with this woman. And what does he say in verse 27? He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Some of you are like, oh, I love dogs. So why, what is he trying to say? Let me help you to understand this. Jesus is trying to use an illustration. He's not necessarily calling her a dog. 
he's using an illustration about how children must be fed first. Some of you who have dogs, cats, whatever, I know you love them. But if you were a parent and you had a child and you had a dog and you could only choose one to feed, something like, this child is wild, so I'm going to feed my dog who loves me, is loyal, he's always there. <laughs> we should appreciate animals because God created them. But they are not made in the image of God. Can I get a good amen? That's why life, human life, has so much value. That's why it boggles my mind oftentimes where those people who are such human rights or excuse me, those people who have these animal rights, they, they're so like adamant about it. But they're the ones who are okay with abortion. And so for me, I'm like, okay, animals are cute. They're great. They're great friends, great pet. They're not a pet, Pastor. They're my friend. Okay, your friend. But that cat, that dog, it, no matter how cute he is, the Bible does not state that they are made in the image of God. Human beings, the reason why it says what, even in the Psalms it talks about that, that humans, he made us and formed us little lower than the angels. Because why? Because we bear the image of God. I'm like, that's what God looks like? No, that's not, he doesn't look like you. But he bears that image, the ability to think and to do things. Those are all characteristics, traits of God. And so what he's trying to say is this, let the children eat first. In essence, he's saying that I, Jesus Christ, came into this world to fulfill God's covenant to the Israelite people, and so through them all the nations will be blessed. So as he's giving this illustration that Jewish people had the first claim to salvation because that was part of the covenant, but listen to her response to this illustration. As we have just read, what does she say? But she says, even the dogs will eat the crumbs under the table. What, in essence, what she's doing and what she demonstrated was her faith. Even though she knows that she's not worthy. And yes, Jesus, you might have come for the Jewish people. So I don't need a lot of bread. Just even if I could have some crumbs, give that to me. You know why? Because you are the only one who is that supreme that even a little bit of your power can do something great. That is a life of faith. And that's what she demonstrated. After seeing this kind of desperation and this kind of faith, Jesus says that the demon already left her daughter. In fact, you will notice that in that phrase it says, has left, that demon has left. It is in the perfect tense, which shows that that child, your daughter, is already cured. And it has happened and is already complete. And then she goes back and she found her daughter lying in bed and the demon gone. So this is the first story, and I want you to have it etched in your mind. Faith, humility, desperation. Jesus seeing this, he then causes a miracle to happen.
Let's read the next section here. Let me read from this out. It says this. Okay, maybe not. Okay, here we go. Then he returned. Okay, whoa, is it my eyes? Okay. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, uh, touched his tongue. Thank you. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephratah, that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished because beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, as we are just going to do a quick brief drive-by on this passage, we see that Jesus and the disciples go to this region of the, uh, Acapolis, which simply means 10 cities. And it was the most, this is what you need to know, it was the most region, it, it was a region most filled with non-Jews. So literally what he did was he ministered in Galilee, he stepped out and went to Tyre and Sidon, and as he ministered to this woman, now he's going to this Decapolis where there are more non-Jews. Once again, we see some of the similarities to the previous story. There was a situation where healing needed to happen. They went to Jesus. They begged him to heal him or heal this speech and hearing impaired person. Then Jesus takes him aside, away from the crowd, and physically touches him by putting his fingers into his man's ears and then spitting and touching his tongue. Now, um, I think we could all agree that's pretty disgusting, right? So let's just kind of get that over with, right? And so if you've ever touched your own ear, you see there's weird stuff that comes out. And if you're spitting and then you touch someone else's tongue, that's like COVID or other problems. And so Jesus does this. And then in Aramaic, which is one of the common languages, both for the Jew and for the Gentile, which in our church is English. So in the common language, what we see here is Jesus says, be open. And the year was open and the tongue was released and so that he could speak freely. It's interesting that the more that the, Jesus told the people not to mention to others, the more zealously they proclaimed it. But the question is, why? If you look at verse 37, it's because they were astonished. The word astonished is translated as struck out. And it's not like baseball, or some of you guys don't even know what baseball is. But anyway, it's not like, you know, oh, I approached this girl and she said no. So I struck out. Oh, no. That is not the struck out we're talking about. It is the sense of being knocked out. Like, wow. And so... It also means overwhelmed beyond all measure. In the New Living Translation, I want to read the yellow section with me. It says what? They were 
completely amazed and said again and again, come on, say this, everything he does is wonderful. Like, have you ever met someone like that, that everything that they do is so wonderful? Even if they do some private stuff and you're like, oh, that's so wonderful. That's wonderful. Of course not. We're imperfect. Everything that Jesus did, they were astonished. They realized he does it well. He's different from anyone else. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. In the NIV, it's translated as people were overwhelmed with amazement. You know, when we encounter Jesus, we should be overwhelmed and amazed. And when you think about that, I just don't understand how you cannot share with other people. One of the first clues that I look for if I know that there are genuine believers in Jesus Christ after they say a prayer or after they say, I receive Jesus Christ right before communion or I receive Jesus. One of the signs that I look for is, do they tell somebody else? If you found one of the best restaurants, you're not going to be like, don't tell anybody. If you found some of the best deals and you really love people, what are you going to do? Tell them where to go. It's just human nature. If you are amazed or if it, even if you go to vacation and you're like, oh, my God, the food was amazing. And, you know, that place was, that hike was awesome. And what, that hotel, I mean, it's just natural. But here's a person who supposedly became a Christian, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they don't want to tell anybody. That's a problem. And if some of you were in this situation, I'm speaking to you, and I'm not afraid to speak to you about it. If you genuinely understand the God, that doesn't mean you know everything about Christianity. But when you understand the depth of your sin, and you see the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and what he went through because of your sin, that you don't deserve anything, but in his grace, he loved you and that he has worked in your heart to help you to understand not only your sinfulness, but the goodness of him that he actually came into this world, lived a life that you could not live, that he died on the cross, an innocent man dying a criminal death so that you can have life. And if you are not astonished and you are not amazed at that, then my challenge to you is you probably are not a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a step further. We believe in our church. You do not need to be baptized to become a Christian. We also believe that you do not need to be baptized in our church to be a Christian. But I will say this. One of the evidences that God is changing your heart and you have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ is you're going to want to get baptized. Because now you have an opportunity to declare to the church family of what Christ has done in your life. When you meet Christ, you will be amazed. You will be astonished. You will be struck dead in a way, knocked out, because you realize how wonderful and awesome this gospel message is. And that's exactly what was happening. So it was as if Jesus, don't tell anybody, everyone else watching this, they're like, are you kidding me? I was thinking about this, and I said, here's a man who has been hearing impaired and speech, had a speech impediment, and all of a sudden he starts speaking fluently. You don't even have to say anything. They will say, what happened? 
That's the point. For Jesus, he tells them not to because it's not the right time. But also, as they see the miracle that happened in their lives, they cannot contain it. This is what the gospel does. That's why living a life that is obedient to Jesus Christ, it always involves this faith, which is the key ingredient of a person who will live for Jesus Christ. Let me just quickly finish off on some of these other stories quickly. And some of you, the, you know these stories. You've read it in the other Gospels. And so I'm not going to highlight too much on it, but let's just read it. It says this, In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they were nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from, a far, from far away. And his disciples answered him, Now can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place and jesus said uh, asked them how many loaves do you have they said seven and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given things he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish and having blessed them he said that these also should be set before them and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven basketful, and there were about 4,000 people, and he set them, sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalamutha. Now, I'm going to just stop here and just think about the progression of the story. He goes outside of Galilee, goes into Tyre and Sidon in this area. Here's a woman who had a daughter that was possessed by an evil spirit. She was desperate. She was humble. She came and they interacted with Jesus. Even the dogs will eat the bread, that, the crumb that falls onto the ground. He sees her humility. He sees her faith. And what does he do? He creates a miracle when he says, your daughter is already well. And then he goes further into this area where it's more non-Jews. And then as he goes there, people are gathering. And here's a man who has a hearing impediment, speech impediment. And guess what? As Jesus then, he touches his mouth and he put his finger in his ears. It's not a magical formula. But as he does this, that this man is now able to hear and to speak. That almost seems as if di di Jesus is digressing, but it's all within the story. Because after that experience, now, because these people were following him, he looks at them and he realizes they're hungry. And it says here that he has compassion on them. Now, some of you might be thinking, is this the same story at the 5,000? No, it's different. And one of the things you need to understand is just because it's not in the Bible does not necessarily mean that it did not happen. Because there were probably many instances, because he lived on this earth, ministering after he got anointed, three years as he was living life with the disciples that he probably fed many more people in different instances so this is a story of feeding 4,000 and not the 5,000 that you will see in the book of John and other places the key thing that you need to understand is not only did he have compassion but he loved the people but how does the disciples respond well all you have to do is look at verse 4 of chapter 8 and he says what how can one feed these people with bread here in the desolate place. This is a typical response from a person who's always looking through the human eyes, the human paradigm. They have no faith. What they did was they saw practically that it cannot be done. 
Therefore, they're missing this opportunity for a miracle. I want you to think about this in your context. How many times have there been a situation in your life, humanly possible, it will not work? So you either stop trying, or you stop praying, or you stop having faith, or you start, you just give up. How many times? Some of you are in that situation right now. But all of a sudden, without you praying, without you doing anything, God opens that door. What do we normally say? Oh, too late, God. No, you're like, God, thank you so much. I don't deserve this. That's us. That's why sometimes we need to be in desperate situations so that we will come to the end of ourselves and then turn to God in humility and say, God, I need you. That's why even as I journey with some of you, I'm looking at your lives, and some of you are going through some extreme difficulties with your family. Some of you are struggling with your co-workers or your boss. Some of you are going just through even physical ailments and different things in your life. And when I look at that, I'm thinking, God, what is it that you're trying to do? And one of the things that I have to entertain is that maybe with what you're going through, maybe your friends have left you. Maybe the things that you've had and possessed is now all slipping away. Or that relationship that is getting sour. Whatever it may be that God actually, that it didn't mean he caused it, but because there's sin in this world, people make decisions that he is going to use it so that you can wake up from your spiritual slumber and then humble yourself and turn to God. I'm wondering if that's what's happening right now in some of your lives because you're struggling with things that are happening. And so here are the disciples still looking at it through the human paradigm with human eyes. There's a lack of faith. And sad, this is the saddest part. The saddest part is they just witnessed two miracles. The demon-possessed girl that's now healed and this person who couldn't hear and couldn't speak now he is completely healed. How many times are we just like the disciples where God actually shows us, he delivers us, he works in our lives, and we're like, thank you, Lord. And the next day, we just go ahead and live our own lives. Then Jesus asks a question. Can, can I just say this? And this is really important. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know. Don't ever forget that. If you want to minister like Jesus, start asking questions, even though you know the answer to that question. He asks this question. How, how many, do you have bread? How, many bread? how much bread do we have? Uh, duh, it's like right there. You could go one, two, three, four, there's seven. But he's like, how much bread do we have? And they're like, we only have seven. There's 4,000 people. And if you know anything about counting in the Bible, oftentimes they just count men. So there could have probably been more children, women. And so the people, are, the disciples are looking at the crowds, 4,000 or more. They look at the bread and there's only seven. And then Jesus asks this question. And the reason why he's asking is because it is more for the person receiving the question to look at their hearts. You just witnessed two miracles. And here's 4,000 people with seven bread, and you lack faith. After distributing it, giving thanks, and distributing it, there were seven baskets full left over. 
once again, what they missed out is they had a lack of faith. They were not desperate. They were not humble. Living a, living a life that is obedient involves faith as a key ingredient. Let's finish off with these next some verses. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now they have forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he continued, cautioned them, said, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, can, can I just pause here? He's aware of everything. That's the problem, is that he knows everything, but he's asking us questions because it's to reveal our hearts. Aware of this, he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces do, did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And he said, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Do the math. It's almost 9,000 people that he fed with these 12 bread and then seven. So that's what? How, let's do the math. 19 loaves and two small fish. And it says a few fish. So let's say two. So four, he fed 9,000 people. And the part that he's trying to highlight is this, that as he was interacting with the Pharisees, they did not come humbly, but they wanted to ask for a sign to test him. You think you're really God? Well, here, give us a sign then. They were the complete opposite of those other miracles where they were humble, desperate, and they came to Jesus. And the part with the disciples is that there's anybody who should have understood what was happening are the disciples. Not only were they witnesses of these things, but they were participants of seeing the miracles because they distributed the bread and the fish. And then when they were collecting, it wasn't these little kids collecting. La, la, la. No, it was them collecting it into their baskets. And they realized we have 12 baskets. And that was the other time that he fed 5,000. There's seven baskets full of bread and, and fish. And so if there's anyone who should have understood was the disciples. But we see very clearly here, he thought that they were talking about, oh, Jesus is upset because we don't have the bread. We Peter, why'd you forget the bread, man? Well, I told Thomas, but he started doubting me all the time. Like, they're, they're blaming each other. Why didn't you bring the bread? And Jesus looked at it, he sighed, and he says, you still don't get it. Because when I'm asking about the leaven, what he's trying to say is this. Be careful because that word leaven, especially in the Bible, is either like evil or reference to some kind of influence that's not good. So he goes, watch out for the Pharisees and that leaven of Herod because in, Herod was one of the evil kings or rulers at that time. He says, do not let leaven enter in because that little thing can ruin the whole bread. That's why we have to be careful 
even in our friendships and even in our life group, if you allow that little leaven can be bitterness, anger, to enter in, it can start spreading and affect your life group. Think about that for a moment. If one person gets hurt or misunderstood and they get angry, they don't know how to reconcile, they don't know how to forgive, guess what? They're going to share it with whom? To God? No. They're going to share it with their friend. Oh my God, I can't believe she did that. Oh really? Oh my God. Yeah, I said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. The next thing you know, you have two people and then that person is there like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so guess what happens? Then you tell other, another friend. So one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, and that's the end of your life group. That's why guarding the spirit of unity is so important to any body of Christ when we come together. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight for that oneness because that's where God commands a blessing. That's what it says in Psalms. That it's great and awesome when brothers and sisters dwell in unity because right there, God commands a blessing. If you're thinking, why is my life group not growing? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your bitterness. It's your anger, your selfishness because you're not getting what you want. And so because of that, it affects everyone else. Your attitude. You come in there like, life group, yeah. Then everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with him? Oh, we don't know anyway. Like, okay. So you're in a huddle group. You're with that person. And then they go like, okay, uh, maybe we should just do it ourselves. No, do you want to? No, I don't want to talk today. Okay. You're so self-centered. All you're thinking about is yourself. What kind of bad that day that you had? What if that person that looks happy or they're trying to have a good perspective, they had a worse day than you? That's why it is absolutely critical that you understand that you cannot allow sin or leaven to enter in, whether it's a church, your life, your relationship with people, because it is those things that will ruin the very work that God is trying to do. The leaven in this scripture is this false teaching and the corrupting influence that is small, but it's unseen, but it has an influence on the whole bread. That's why this metaphor of something that is invisible or pervasive influence you'll see over and over again. It's this gradual unbelief, the pride that comes in, the complacency that comes in that you don't really see because it is unseen. It's just slow and it makes you further away from God. You don't want to read the Bible anymore. You know what? I don't want to go to life group anymore. Why should I get up and go to church and be with other people and hear the word of God? It's those kinds of slow, gradual things that will drift you further apart from the very thing that you need, but Satan knows that he wants to pull you away and that leaven has entered in. And lastly, this is a story about a man who got healed. I'm going to close with this. And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought him a blind man, and he what? Begged him. That phrase is what we saw with the woman, also that person who his friends brought. They all begged because they were desperate. They begged to touch him, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And he said, he had spit in his eyes and laid his hand on him and asked him, do you see anything? Let me tell you, uh, disgusting, all right? Spit, you're like, oh, wow, is that water? But yeah. And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like what? Trees walking. It's almost like, it's like, I, I, there's trees. Are, do trees walk? 
And then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he said, he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. One thing that I need to mention about this is that as this person came in a heart of humility and faith, they came to Jesus, and they begged, only you can do this. It seems as if there's a two-stage healing process. But one thing that you will know is that this is the only instance where there's a two-stage process of healing. Every single time there is healing, Jesus either spoke it or he laid his hands on them and they were healed instantly, instantaneously. So once again, spitting in the eyes. What you have to understand is that everything that Jesus does, he has a purpose. You need to know that spitting in the man's, in his hands and putting it in the man's eyes and laying it on him, it's because that man who has been blind for all these years can actually now feel the effects of healing. That's why if some of us are going to love on people, you got to get your hands dirty. When you're going to live out the will of God, it might not be the most pleasant thing. But it was for the recipient to know. I'll never forget, whenever I go on some of these mission trips, some of these kids are dirty. Like physically, they haven't taken a shower for weeks. And more so, even in this stage of COVID and everything, you're always hypersensitive. And I remember when I would go on to some of these villages, whether it's in Africa somewhere in uh, the eastern part of Africa, whether you know, it's Latin America, all these places I've been to, I'm telling you, there are kids who are living in these villages that they don't take showers every single day. They have snot dried up everywhere. They have like dirt marks all over. Their clothes, it reeks. It smells like crazy. And everything inside of you is so tempted to say, okay, kid, here's your candy. Go get it. And when I was thinking about Jesus, I realized he does something that's totally different. And there's something that happens when you see a kid or a person who is dirty but you are able to embrace them, shake their hand. But don't wash your hand afterwards. <laughs> but to love them. What you're saying is, I'm willing to lay down my life and love you the way God does. You know what, one of the most powerful witness for a Christian? And I've shared this before and I'll say it again. Is when the Ebola virus broke out in Africa. All these organizations and people, they all left because they didn't want to get Ebola virus. It was deadly. Do you know who stayed? To help the poor, to help minister in the hospitals. Do you know who stayed? They were all Christians. Because they knew that if they were to catch it and they die, they will go to heaven. But they knew that if these people caught it and they don't know Jesus Christ, they will spend the rest of eternity in hell. Okay, bro. 
you either got to be crazy or you experience a love of another kind. It was so powerful that a secular person who's really famous in New York who writes news articles, a well-known journalist, even though he's not a Christian, it spoke to him. Because he was reporting on the Ebola virus. And he realized that so many people left and these Africans who were there, they were dying. But it was the Christians. Humble Christians who no one knew who they were. But they knew God. They knew where their destiny would be, would spend the rest of eternity with Christ. So they said, I'm going to risk and lay down my life so I can help some people so they can come to know Jesus. I want to pray with them. I want to, I want to share the gospel with them. And this secular journalist was so blown away. He says, what motivates people who call themselves Christian when everyone leaves for the safety of their own lives, that these Christians are willing to stay and risk their lives so that these people can be healed. That is a person who has experienced the gospel. And I want to challenge you, all of us as a church, my question is, what do you live for in this world? So often your hearts, our hearts are complacent. Our hearts have lost that burden. That's the heart of God. It's all about us. We consume things that what we want. Make it more comfortable for me. Make it more convenient for me. Oh, you know what? I don't want to go to that prayer gathering because I have some kind of meal that I'm going to go to. I don't want to go and do, go and serve over there because I have already plans that I want to make. And I'm talking to you because I'm trying to help you to understand that your heart is getting further away from the heart of God and you do not see it. And you're drifting and drifting because what you long for is yourself and your comfort and your own life. Where there are hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, millions, 7.3 million people in Hong Kong who do not know Jesus Christ. And we live our lives as if it's our own. And one day, you're going to have to give an account to God. And he's going to say, with all the blessings that I've given you when you were in college, that you came to this university and this is where you met me. When you were living this half-hearted life back at home, but you came here and I had a purpose and plan for you. And I've transformed your life. But now you've taken that blessing and you have consumed and make it about yourself. And Jesus, this morning, is challenging every single one of us. We have one life to live. And the question is, how are we going to live this life? And every single day, God gives us so many opportunities to display his love. And what we forget is that in these desperate situations, what we need to do is humble ourselves to desperately seek after God. And as we seek after God, that we turn to him and believe and by faith that he will work. Because you need faith. Because what you do right now, you have to believe that God is going to use that for something that's greater.
It's not about going to all the meetings. I hope you don't misunderstand me. It is your heart. And if you don't have a burden for lost people, you don't have a burden for the kingdom of God. It's all about your career, your life, your marriage, your future, and all these things. But there's no God in this. It is all about you. Then all I'm going to say to you is, Lord, we welcome suffering. We welcome hard times so that we can turn our hearts back to you. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. But God, if that's what's required for me to have you than anything else in this world, then Lord, please have mercy on us and bring those things. That's why living a life that is obedient, it always involves this key ingredient, which is faith. Do you believe what God is doing in your life, that he's doing it out of his grace and his mercy. Let's die to ourselves to say, God, less of me and more of you. That is a church that will transform the world. Less of me and more of you. You know why? Because God has been so good. Jesus has been so good to us. More than we deserve. We don't deserve anything, but God, you have blessed us. You have took care, you took care of us. You watched over us. You provided for us. That's the gospel, isn't it? When we least deserve it, God in his mercy and his grace still continues to pour out his blessing to us. I, it just leaves me constantly astonished. How can a sinful person like me God, that you could still use when I know that I do not deserve it. Why do you still bless me, God? Why do you still give me things that I, I know that I haven't earned it? I don't deserve it. But you do it. And it's in that moment when you begin to understand this gospel message that you cannot perform or try to earn it. You deserve it, but you just realize it's all Jesus Christ. And it's in that moment your heart starts to melt. And you begin to see things more clearly. I need more of Jesus in my life. I'm going to encourage you to do three things as we leave this place. First of all is this. Let's seek God daily together. Every single day, spend that time with God. Seek after God. It's not just doing soap that's going to make you more spiritual. The soap is just a structure to help you to be in the presence of God. When you go through the MTR, when you just go walking to classes, walking to work from the station, use that two minutes, use that five minutes, use that seven. Stop scrolling on your Instagram and all these other social media and start scrolling with God. Spend some time with Him. Pray to Him. God, I'm going to be heading into this meeting. God, I'm going to have to do this presentation. I need you. And give me strength, anointing. Seek God daily. The second thing is this. Stay faithful to what you know. You know, a lot of times we're like, God, I want to do this. And I'll, but he has given you things for you to do. And also he has given you different things that you already know. So be faithful to that. Until he gives you another clear sign. Until he shows you another miracle. Until he leads you to another place. To be faithful. All the way to the end. And lastly, it's a sign up for the retreat. I know we've been pushing this. Some of you are like, ah, 
No money, la. No money. <laughs> no money, my. There you are. You got some new gym shoes. You got some new little electronic equipment. I see you at Starbucks, you know, $45 per drink. You do that three times a week. No money, la. Yeah, because you're investing in it, all this other stuff that's about you. Give me about 30 seconds to help you to understand how important this is. God sometimes takes you out of the rhythm and the normal things of life because sometimes that dulls our senses. He brings you to a place that is away, which is called a retreat. We're retreating away. And that is where we pray and come to this retreat and we gather together as a whole church family. And as we gather together, it's all going to be about Jesus. We're going to worship we're going to come together. We're going to pray. We're going to be with other brothers and sisters in our life group, other people in our church. And we have this wonderful opportunity to come humbly in the spirit of humility to be desperate and seek after God. And I'm telling you right now, when your heart is in that position and the key ingredient of faith comes in, then you are going to experience a miracle that you have never experienced before. I have seen people receive spiritual gifts that they have not thought, they didn't know that they had the spiritual gift. God gave it to them. I've seen people with relational problems being completely healed as they realize that they have sinned before God and that person. I've seen people who will be in the times of prayer and God will reveal to them their next steps for their future. I've seen people at retreats to come together as they're bowing down, worshiping God, that they will build a conviction in their lives and say, God, I'm going to give it all for you. I have seen people make decisions even after the retreats to go on a missions project. I have seen people say, God, I'm not going to major this anymore. I'm going to go in this direction. I'm, not, I'm tired of trying to please people. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I have seen people after retreats, if they were like this, that they will just shoot up and then they will take steps for further growth. These are all miracles. Can I get a good amen? They're works of God, works of Jesus, and they are miracles to us. And that's what Jesus wants to do at this retreat. And I believe the guest speaker, because I know him really well for almost 40 years, he is going to bring the word, word, and he's going to bring it. And it's going to cut to our hearts. And I believe that God's going to use that for us to then respond, not just individually, but as a whole church. Man, it's going to be rocking. Don't be that, don't be that person that gets FOMO. Oh my God, it looks so cool. Don't be that person. Join us. Be a part of it. If you're struggling financially, let your leaders know. We have people in our church that love God and they're willing to sacrifice a Starbucks. They're willing to sacrifice doing whatever so they can gather some money together to help support you. But listen to me. Those of you are like, oh, that sounds really good. Sign me up because now I can go. Listen to me. If there's no sacrifice on your part and everything is free for you, then it's not worth it. Are you with me? Things become more worth it when you sacrifice and you give. I pray that even though you might not be able to pay for all of it, pay for some of it, whatever you can. And we will find people who will be willing to give so that you can go. We don't want anyone to miss this retreat because of finances. I will sleep outside if I have to. I want you to be in there experiencing God. God is going to do some awesome things. And I believe that with all my heart. 
So let's live this life obediently before God as we have this key ingredient of faith. Open our hearts, Lord. Do your work. Come on, church. Let's all stand together, shall we? I'm going to ask us at this moment as you're standing, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? And I just want to ask you a couple questions that you could use that to reflect in this very moment for a couple minutes. How's your relationship with God? And not just God, but His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm guessing He's been missing some of you because you haven't spent time with Him for a long time. Come back to Him today. He's speaking to you, drawing you near. That's the awesome thing about God. He disciplines those He loves. And he does it in a way that is perfect for us so that we can turn our hearts to him. Sometimes some of us need a little bit more push than others because we have a high tolerance for pain. But for others, you know when he's speaking and that you can say yes to God. So how's your relationship with Jesus? The second thing is this. Are you living your life with the spirit of humility desperation and faith especially in the situation you're in if you're not just confess repent use this time to repent and say God forgive me and then receive his grace and his mercy and then recommit your life to simply say God by your grace help me to live by faith with the spirit of humility this coming week And as you do that, allow God then to perform the miracle in your heart and in your life. Father, I'm just praying right now in the name of Jesus, in this quiet moment that we have together, as we ponder upon these two questions, I pray that you will speak to us and that we will not allow doubt, lack of faith, pride, complacency, whatever it may be, that's the total opposite of humility, desperation, and faith to hinder us from receiving what you have for us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your constant and consistent love that never gives up on us. We look to you. We're praying for your spirit to lead us. Come on, church. I'm going to give you about a minute and a half. Just pray to the Lord in your own way and let him perform the miracle before you leave this morning. Let's pray together, shall we? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.